Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be back with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into the richness of this special topic of mercy. And as we do, I would just like to continue to thank all of you who have uh, turned your radio dials to 104.5 FM or AM 930. Or if you are lis- listening to this program by way of podcast, huh? wherever you might be in the state, country, or the world. I know I see a number of you who tune in across Europe and, and South America and Africa, and it really is a, an honor for me that you take 30 minutes out of your time to join me here on Seeds of Truth, reflecting into the richness of the Christian and Catholic faith, especially uh, this evening as we continue this special topic of mercy. You know, we hit mercy as it comes to us in sacred scripture, and out from that we looked at the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And out from that, we've been looking at some important figures historically that have helped us better understand mercy and how really the plan of divine mercy is something that has been maturing over the uh, past couple of centuries, right? As we've talked about St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, St. Margaret Mary, St. Therese of Lisieux, and as we continue our treatment of God's plan of, of divine mercy in the life of the Church, um, now St. Faustina of Kowalska, huh? the great 20th century saint of divine mercy. Um, and before we jump into her message, per se, we ought to hit her bio. Huh? St. Maria Faustina Kowalska really does belong to uh, the group of the most popular and most well-known saints of the Church because of what we are going to talk about today. Now, through her, the Lord Jesus communicated to the world the great message of God's mercy and reveals the pattern, huh? of Christian perfection based on trusting God and on the attitude of mercy towards one's neighbors. Now, um, Sister Faustina was born on August 25th, 1905, right? So she was one who was actually born in the 20th century in Glagowicz, Poland, of a poor and religious family of peasants, the third of ten children. She was baptized with the name Helena, and uh, from a very tender age, she stood out because of her love of prayer, because of her love of of work, obedience, and also of her sensitivity to the poor, which we will speak about as well this evening. Um, At the age of seven, she had already felt the stirrings, the first stirrings of a religious vocation. And do we not see this in so many of the great saints, that these promptings arise at such an early age? Um, Young Helena made her first Holy Communion at the age of nine, which for her was a very profound moment in her awareness of the presence of the divine guest within her soul. Um, And now, some of you out there might be thinking, oh, come on, really, did she really um, understand what was going on there? I'll tell you this. I have a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. They have both received First Communion, and um, they are aware, (laughs) strikingly so. I might have been that person questioning that, but uh, let me tell you something. No, I mean... There's a lot to be said about the age of reason being seven and certainly a nine or ten-year-old really beginning to understand the significance of what it means to receive their first communion. So when I say, and when the many commentaries talk about 
her receiving First Communion is a very profound moment in her awareness of the presence of God within her. Believe it. Believe it. Hmm. So moving on, she attended school for three years. Uh, after finishing school, she wanted to enter the convent, but her parents would not give her permission. Uh, being of age at 16, Helena left home and went to work as a housekeeper in order to find the means of supporting herself and of helping her parents. And certainly, as it has been noted, she never lost her desire for a religious vocation. After being called during what she recounted as a vision of the suffering Christ, she entered the Congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy on August 1st, 1925. Huh? So just shy of 20 years old, she entered the convent, the Congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, and took the name at that point as Sister Maria Faustina of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Huh? We talked about the importance of St. Therese's whole name, St. Therese of the Infant Jesus and Holy Face, and how those became charisms, those became a focus of her own vocation. Well, here again, we have Sister Maria Faustina of the Most Blessed Sacrament, and she would have a great devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, a great devotion to adoration. Now, externally, nothing revealed her rich, mystical, interior life per se. She zealously performed her tasks and faithfully observed the rule of religious life. She was recollected and at the same time very natural, very serene, certainly full of kindness and what has been called a disinterested love for her neighbor. That is to say, she loved her neighbor um, for the sake of neighbor. You have heard me talk about how we define love as willing the good of the other for the sake of the other, right? This is what St. Maria Faustina certainly entered into. Now, as many of us know, Although her life was apparently insignificant, uh, monotonous, and dull, she certainly hid within herself an extraordinary union with God. Now, when we talk about Sister Maria Faustina, we should really highlight that it is the mystery of the mercy of God which she contemplated in the Word of God, huh? as well as in the everyday activities of her life that forms the basis of her spirituality. Uh, the process of contemplating and getting to know the mystery of God's mercy helped develop within Faustina the attitude of that childlike trust in God we talked so much about when we were reflecting into the life of St. Therese and how that trust led her to be a great agent of mercy for Christ. Uh, Sister Faustina, my dear friends, was a faithful daughter of the Church. Uh, conscious of her role in the Church, she was always cooperating with God's mercy in the task of saving souls. At the specific request of and following the example of the Lord Jesus, she made, as her diary recounts, a sacrifice of her own life for this very goal, huh? this very goal of saving lost souls for Jesus Christ. In her spiritual life, she also distinguished herself with a particular love of the Eucharist and a deep devotion to the Mother of Mercy. And as I've already noted, that particular love for the Eucharist certainly led her every step of the way in her journey of faith. Now, the Lord Jesus chose Sister Maria Faustina as what we can call the apostle and secretary of his mercy so that she could tell the world about his great message, which Sister Faustina recorded in a diary titled, As Many of Us Know, divine mercy 
in my soul. So in a series of visions of our Lord, of which she would later record, we have this diary titled Divine Mercy in My Soul, a diary that not only speaks to her visions, but also the call which was uh, put before her. In diary entry 1588, she recorded these words from our Lord. In the old covenant, I send prophets wielding thunderbolts to my people. Today, I am sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world. I do not want to punish aching mankind, but I desire to heal it, pressing it to my merciful heart. So there you have it. (laughs) Today, I am sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world. I do not want to punish aching mankind, but I desire to heal it, pressing it to my most merciful heart. So in an extraordinary way, in its truest sense, Sister Maria Faustina's work sheds light on the mystery of the divine mercy. It delights not only the simple and uneducated people, but also scholars who look upon it as an additional source of theological research. Huh? The diary has been translated into more than 20 languages, including English, German, Italian, Spanish, French, Portuguese, Arabic, Russian, Hungarian, Czech, Slovak, Polish, Brazilian, Vietnamese, Korean, Chinese, Swedish, Ukrainian, Dutch, and Japanese. Now, as it relates to her bio, uh, Sister Maria Faustina, consumed by tuberculosis and by innumerable sufferings which she accepted as a voluntary sacrifice for sinners, again, another mark of the great saints, died in Krakow at the age of just 33 on October 5th, 1938, with a reputation for spiritual maturity and mystical union with God. No, the reputation of the holiness of her life grew as did the praise of God's divine mercy. In the years 1965 to to 1967, the investigative process into her life was undertaken in Krakow, of course, by St. John Paul the Great. And so in the year 1968, the beatification process was initiated in Rome and coming to an end in December 1992. So on April 18th, 1993, our Holy Father, uh, John Paul II, raised St. Faustina to the glory of the altars, and she was ultimately canonized on April 30th, 2000, the first saint to be canonized in the third millennium. Very, very significant, as we will talk about next week. St. Faustina's remains rest at the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Krakow, and uh, I had the honor and my trip to Poland to pray before those remains. I'm forever grateful for that. Now, all that being said, I want to go back a bit to something that she records in her diary that has forever linked her with St. Therese. Huh? Now, this comes to us from paragraph entry 150. Now, I know some of us, if not most of us, are familiar with our Lord's revelations to St. Faustina, but you might not be aware of her link with St. Therese. Listen to what St. Faustina had to say. I want to write down a dream that I had about St. Therese of the child Jesus. I was still a novice at the time and was going through some difficulties which I did not know how to overcome. I made novenas to various saints, but the situation grew more and more difficult. The sufferings it caused me were so great that I did not know how to go on living, but suddenly the thought occurred to me that I should pray to St. Therese of the child Jesus. 
I started a novena to this saint because before entering the convent, I had a great devotion to her. Lately, I had somewhat neglected this devotion, but in my need, I began again to pray with great fervor. On the fifth day of the novena, I dreamed of St. Therese, but it was as if she were still living on earth. She hid from me the fact that she was a saint and began to comfort me, saying that I should not be worried about this matter, but should trust more in God. She said, I suffered greatly too, but I did not quite believe her and said, it seems to me that you have not suffered at all. But St. Therese answered me in a convincing manner that she had suffered very much indeed and said to me, Sister, know that in three days the difficulty will come to a happy conclusion. When I was not very willing to believe her, she revealed to me that she was a saint. At that moment, a great joy filled my soul, and I said to her, You are a saint. Yes, she answered, I am a saint. Trust that this matter will be resolved in three days. And I said to her, Dear sweet Therese, tell me, shall I go to heaven? And she answered, Yes, you will go to heaven, sister. And will I be a saint? To which she replied, Yes, you will be a saint. But little Therese, shall I be a saint as you are, raised to the altar? And she answered, Yes, you will be a saint just as I am, but you must trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, so there it is. You must trust in the Lord Jesus. It's interesting. As many link St. Faustina's sanctity and holiness exclusively to her revelations, St. Faustina herself has a message for all of us. Listen to what she has to say in entry uh, 1107. Neither graces nor revelations nor raptures nor gifts granted to a soul make it perfect, but rather the intimate union of the soul with God. These gifts are merely ornaments of the soul, but constitute neither its essence nor its perfection. My sanctity and perfection consist in the close union of my will with the will of God. There it is. So a saint is defined by living a saintly life in the everyday ordinary routine of life, essentially taking what is ordinary and making it extraordinary by the way in which we love. By the way, I should probably note I've been using the phrase entry 1107. She numbered her entries as she was putting them into her, her diary. Now, this intimate union that she speaks to with God was manifested in her own life from a very early age. Um, it would appear that she was graced with extraordinary piety and a special compassion for the poor and suffering. As it has been recorded at age 12, uh, she dressed herself in poor clothing when begging from door to door to obtain alms for the destitute. I mean, think about that. <laughs> she was often found reaching out to the homeless. In many ways, her early life was a reflection that she would later record in entry 1688, our Lord said to her, My daughter, look into my merciful heart and reflect its compassion in your own heart and in your deeds, so that you who proclaim my mercy to the world may yourself be aflamed with it. Is that not the cornerstone to everything we have been talking about over the last several months, huh? In point of fact, if you were to break down the three keys of the message of divine mercy, 
to this uneducated Polish nun. Remember, three years of education, right? They would be as follows. First, ask for his mercy, right? God wants us to approach him in prayer constantly, repenting of our sins and asking him to pour his mercy out upon us and upon the whole world. Second, be merciful. God wants us to receive his mercy and let it flow through us to others. He wants us to extend love and forgiveness to others just as he does to us. And third, completely trust in Jesus. God wants us to know that the graces of his mercy are linked to our trust in him. The more we trust in Jesus, the more we will receive his graces. And so, These three components are the same components that we find in sacred scripture. But again, we are sheep, which means we are fickle, and we need reminders about what is essential versus what is non-essential. In the end, our Lord's message is clear. You are to show mercy to your neighbors always and everywhere. You must not shrink from this or try to excuse yourself from it. In entry 1074, he says to St. Faustina, In the three degrees of prayer, actions, and words is contained the fullness of mercy. Prayer, actions, and words. Elsewhere, he says, When a soul approaches me with trust, I fill it with such an abundance of graces that it cannot contain them within itself, but radiates them to other souls. How about that? Jesus, I trust in you. What is going on there? Well, we must remember that in the end, this is about first being in relationship with God, and out from that very real relationship, we then are more willing to be disposed to serve God. In the past, we have put this in the context of the interior attitude of faith, right? That attitude of being in relationship with God and disposed to do his will, being ready and willing to say yes to him, just as the Blessed Virgin Mary said yes to the angel Gabriel. Mary was disposed. In so many ways, we imitate that great disposition, that we, like Mary, might be a great disciple. Now, we should add here in our reflection into the life of St. Faustina and her message that Jesus appeared to St. Faustina as the most violent war in human history, Huh? was on the verge of escalating. Every time in church history where there is profound evil, you usually don't have to look far to find some revelation of profound goodness and mercy. Why? Well, because in the dark of the night, <laughs> we need the brightest light to bear witness to the hope of Jesus Christ. And is this not why we are called to drink from the fountain of mercy? and the sacramental life of the church. You have heard me make the point before, as I have had the observation made to me on more than one occasion. Joe, it is getting dark out there. Yes, it is getting dark. It is getting very dark. But what does that mean about light itself? The darker it gets, the brighter our light shines. And so, my friends, let us enter into Christ, who is light that we might be bearers and beacons of light in this great darkness. You know, this whole plan of divine mercy, as it has been revealed to St. Faustina, 
is a plan of preparation, right? I mean, this message has a very real context, and that is the end times and the Lord's final coming. Listen to our Lord's own words. Entry 848. Speak to the world about my mercy. It is a sign for the end times. After it will come the day of justice. While there is time, let them have recourse to the font of my mercy. Entry 965. Tell souls about this great mercy of mine because the awful day, the day of justice is near. How about entry 1160? I am prolonging the time of mercy for the sake of sinners. Woe to them if they do not recognize this time of visitation. And entry 1588. Before the day of justice, I am sending them the day of mercy. These are warnings, my friends. But again, the warning is an invitation. Recall that the word invitation coming from the Latin invitatio means a summoning, but also a challenge. See, the summoning comes in the form of come and see. And the challenge is what happens when you encounter Christ. You want to be the person you are called to be, and you're willing to overcome those challenges. You know, when we read Faustina's diary, we might be reminded of the words from the prophet Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It is an ironic and somewhat frightening fact sometimes, (laughs) at least for me, that many of the most religious people of Christ's time, people who were actively practicing the religion and eagerly awaiting the promised Messiah, were not able to recognize him when he came. Think about that. Now, as we talk about this, such excerpts, entry, paragraphs, and Faustina's diary, and warnings as such, call for a deeper understanding of what he means, our Lord means, by his coming and the end times. So, there are several things we ought to consider. First, as Scripture reminds us, we know not the day nor the hour, right? What do we read in Matthew? But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Consider Peter's words, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So in these verses, we are made aware that uh, we know not the day nor the hour. And in the light of that, we need to be watchful. We need to be sober. We need to be alert. We need to be vigilant, right? Second, while we don't know the day nor the hour, Our Lord said the day is near, which means his message is urgent. My dear friends, time is precious. 
we are really called to pray for the grace to live as we ought, as prescribed by the gospel and the private revelations that echo it, right? Listen to the timeless words of St. Paul that are so applicable to this discussion. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. And that comes to us from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. Here, I'm reminded of the word vanity as it comes to us in sacred scripture, a word that literally means emptiness or nothingness. While vanity immediately brings to mind excessive attention to one's physical appearance, the danger of vanity is not necessarily in the superficial trappings, but rather in the fact that our obsessions lead to a significant waste of time, a participation in time that is idle and void of any meaning. In St. John Paul II's apostolic exhortation on the vocation of the lay faithful, he said, Since the work that awaits everyone in the vineyard of the Lord is so great, there is no place for idleness. With even greater urgency, the householder repeats his invitation. You go into my vineyard as well. So, really, the first point informs the second and vice versa. Okay? Um, On one hand, we know not the day nor the hour, but on the other hand, the call is urgent. Now, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. There is one last very important point addressed beautifully by Benedict XVI, and we will pick up here next Wednesday as we continue our reflections into this uh, special topic of mercy and certainly how we are made to see this as that one great attribute of God. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.